0: top of the inning to you. Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love baseball, and if
1: you love Ireland, stay tuned for a discussion of all things Irish baseball. Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Today's show is going to be quite different than any of our past episodes. I'll be spending the entire time talking with Pat O'Neill and Tom Kaufman, authors of the book. Ted Sullivan, Barnacle of Baseball, The Life of the Prolific League Founder, Scout, Manager, and Unrivaled Huckster. With such an interesting topic and such engaging guests, we decided that Mr. Sullivan's life was more than enough to dominate the podcast this week. To learn more about other Irish baseball legends and to keep up with what's happening with the Irish American Baseball Society, please visit irishbaseball.org. Let's get right into the conversation. First, let's welcome Pat O'Neill.
0: I'm here. I'm glad to be here, as a matter of fact.
1: And Tom Kaufman. Yeah, hey, thanks for having us on. So we are here to talk about your book, Ted Sullivan, Barnacle of Baseball, The Life of the Prolific League Founder, Scout, Manager, and Unrivaled Huckster. So let's start with Pat. Pat, why don't you just give us a little bit about this very, very unique character in the history of baseball? I,
2: I will, because, you know, the fun thing about this book and putting this story together was that one in a million baseball fans in America have ever heard of Ted Sullivan. But in his day, he was considered like the daddy of the sport. They called him the builder of the sport. Uh, and then he was also... Irish-born guy was a prone to tell some tales. And uh, so what we are the, what you call this book, you know, Ted Sullivan, The Barnacle of Baseball, because Damon Runyon, after hearing too many of Ted Sullivan's tales, dubbed him The Barnacle of Baseball.
1: Absolutely, a very unique character. So, Tom, what went into wanting to tell this story for you? At first, I didn't
0: know that there was a story. I'm talking to O'Neill, and he says, hey, I'm doing a little research about this union association team in kansas city and they got this guy named sullivan who's their manager and he seems kind of wild and kind of interesting but you know not, i've never heard of him we'll probably never find out anything <laughs> about him but there there could be a book here all we knew was that he had
2: dubbed it coined the term fan for fanatics we did know that we did I mean, know and that there's 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 bits and pieces about his life in different books and, and tales but just you know, a paragraph here, a page there. So, but we, we thought well, maybe, well, and we were intrigued because he was Irish born and thought, well, there's got to be
0: some color in this story. And we just started plowing through research and traveling around the country and digging through old newspapers and journals. And next thing you know, four and a half years later, it's like, <laughs> God, this guy was all, this guy was all of that, man.
2: Almost 800 end notes it took at the end of this book. Yeah. Uh, the, our publisher gave us a little grief at first because he said we had we employed a little too much jocularity we had to look that up and see what it meant <laughs> but but it's still written in a fun style just like the character himself i mean he was a, a guy that traveled non-stop he was in baseball for about se- almost 70 years yeah and uh he hit every almost every town in america at least once he hit how many continents he was all of them, he, them
0: except antarctica he was he was
2: he was took the, the giants and the uh, white Sox on a tour of the world 1913-14 he was uh Uh, What do they call it? uh, it, What was the word? Indifatagamal. Indifatagamal. I always have a hard time saying that. Guy that uh, started leagues, started teams, he scouted, he was a broker, he was a playwright, he was an after-dinner speaker. The guy was everywhere.
0: He was the first player agent. He fancied himself as the founder of the Texas League. He was founder of one of the versions of the Southern League he called for the designated hitter like 150 years ago because he said <laughs> pitchers were a bunch of whippoorwill swingers. I mean, this guy... And the National
2: League's just now getting drift of that. <laughs> <laughs> but we were just intrigued by the the tales he would tell, not only the legitimate things he did and the impact he had on baseball. He was in the in the room with the, you know, the creation of the, uh, the American League with Ban Johnson and... Uh, and Comiskey and the rest. He went back and forth to Ireland. He, tra- he tried to tame the natives in Ireland with the game of baseball, and it just never quite worked out.
0: No, never
1: quite. But he
2: kept, he kept trying.
1: And you know what? We keep trying, so. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great tie-in to the podcast itself. No, you have stated that he, as a scout, grabs some Hall of Famers.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, what is it, Ray Ray Shaw? Well, Ray Schalk, and uh, you know, he if he didn't
2: discover him, he gave him their first breaks in baseball. Whether it was uh, you know Connie Mack, uh, it was uh, yeah. you know Hoss uh, Radburn. Uh, there's a whole list in this book of it, it is it, interesting. Uh, one of the things we came across was when he died, two of his pallbearers were um, one was Ray Schalk, and the other was Chick Gandil, both uh, involved in the White Sox scandal, in 1919. One good guy, one bad guy. One but, Hall of Famer and won all the favor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, Tom and I had a lot of fun doing it because we both are interested in all things Irish, you know, and in sports and we love baseball. So we got to sit in, you know, some small town, uh, ball fields in, uh, uh, Clinton, Iowa, Burlington, Iowa, yeah. Carnegie Libraries, you know, and we just get so parched at the end of the day, we'd find a good local oh, club. And we had to
0: turn in for refreshment and review our
2: successes for the day. Obnob with the locals and get some, get some fresh color from them. And uh, yeah. uh, that was the, the fun part of it was the research. And, you know, we were digging through microfilm. Plus, you know, all the different portals to, you know, newspapers.com, etc. And I we are, Tom and I are, <laughs> we've gone through at least 3,000 articles. And, you know, we first, we couldn't find anything on them, and then we have so much. Uh, we, I'm still finding things. I found a cartoon last night. <laughs> that I, and I, We caught dropping into the gold mine until the canary sinks, you know, and... Uh, we just keep buying little chips of gold and fool's gold.
1: So with somebody who was so, let's say, outspoken and such a character, is it hard, especially the way they used to write newspaper articles, is it hard to sort of separate the fact from the fiction with this guy? We don't try. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're, we're, we're writing stories and reporting
2: stories. Tom here. and I are this. News- old newspe- weekly newspaper guys it's like gosh i wish we'd have worked back then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could have just you know blown them away and um it, it was and of course in ted sullivan you know he as he got older you know he was still influential until they get into that until he's in his 80s you know and he would uh he would tell the same tale a, 600 different ways over about 40 years so it's just like it was a matter of like which
0: version do we use which which b version of bs version do we use and some of the stories that we read were pretty entertaining because along the way ted burned a lot of bridges Mm a lot of teams and a lot of leagues he just abandoned. He did really. what they called the old Ted he Sullivan. The old disappeared
2: Ted Sullivan. in the middle of the night yeah. when the team was out of money.
0: So you'd read a story out of the uh, Wichita Eagles saying that he should be chloroform. <laughs> and stuff like that. There was a lot of hard feelings. And, and oh, Milwaukee. They hated him in Milwaukee by the time he got out of there. And that's where he was from. He was from Milwaukee, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: You know, he grew up in a German-Irish neighborhood, Catholic schools in Milwaukee, and then ended up, which for us, and we're in Kansas City, he ended up at a, at a little tiny Jesuit college in St. Mary's, Kansas. Just the other side of Topeka. Yeah, just not, I mean, if Tom and I can drive there in an hour or so, an hour and a half. And uh, he there. that's where he met Charlie Comiskey and mentored him. And then he and Charlie Comiskey became not only lifelong pals, but he was uh, Charlie's uh, go-to scout for years. Yeah. And again, helped him with the, he was the missionary and he called himself the missionary in exploring the, uh, the viability of the American League, go out to different cities and try to test the waters and see if they were, they were ready for us. Maybe a second team or
0: a new team in a new league. Ted would periodically have to break hearts when people would find out that Charlie was uh, Irish. <laughs> they thought Comiskey was a Polish name, and so some of the Polish Americans were like bummed out. Oh. Was, oh so the, he- sh- the Chicago Polish community was
2: devastated. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the <laughs> Comiskey was just another, another Mick, you
0: know?
2: Yeah. Um, he would always prefer Irish baseball players, whether they were Irish-born or first-generation, you always. know, always. When he was in Kansas City, they, um, there was a quote from the Kansas City Star in, in 1885 where he had the Cowboys, and they were just a miserable lot of baseball players, but they actually they were really good at terrorizing umpires. Umpires coming in for, you know, from out of town to do the you know, $5 a game gig for the games would be told these tales of how in Kansas City, the Cowboys in the stands were worse than the Cowboys on the field because they'd shoot home run balls out of the air and shatter them into thousand pieces and nullify the runs. And they would chase the umpires out in Indian territory. So these, these umpires would come in. Very favorable to the local team. As well. Yes, of course. But one of the St. Louis, this uh, Kansas City Star says, a St. Louis Exchange cruelly remarks that with the Dugans, the O'Briens, the Sweeneys, and the Sullivans, Ted Sullivan will have a team fit to appear in Muldoon's picnic as well as on the field. He would always say that he that the, the blood of the Kelp was uh, what you needed on the field, whereas the Germans would uh, when he said walk, walk backwards into a train.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the and the Americans had a. Had a gingery temperament, but the English had an icy temperament, and that comedians would have to go back after after a set in the evening to go back to the afternoon matinee so that the crowd could laugh to understand the finally jokes. The, the English should finally get the jokes. He, yeah, he had not a lot of the use, for the but English. he did.
2: He did bring a team, bring the White Sox and Giants in in front of the uh, uh, King George. Yes. A for a game. And of course,
1: schmoozed him all he could. And as soon as he got back on the ship, he talked about the frozen temperament and their inability <laughs> to take a joke. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is a good time to bring up something that maybe isn't so flattering about Mr. Sullivan. And that is, he was definitely a man of his time. A lot of times on the show, when we're digging into more history of baseball, we talk about how the Irish used baseball as a way to integrate into the larger American society. Well, there was another group of baseball players, Ted Sullivan didn't want to integrate into baseball and the larger American society. So if you could talk about that a little.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we stumbled across that pretty early on that Ted was just flat out racist. Um, But then, you know, he was and we read these stories and it's like, God, how do these... Sports writers write this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the sports, the
2: it sporting was, press was was uh, terrible. Was was uh, accomplice to racism and uh, and touted it and celebrated it as
0: well. But we decided we weren't going to duck this topic. We were going to take it on and we were going to just lay it out there because um, that's history and that's how it was. T- Ted spent so much
2: time in the Southern leagues that he thought he knew the uh, the African American better than anyone else in baseball he thought of them more as children. He used that, uh, the old Irish word, Amadon, which is just really is like f- foolish or childlike as any describing the African-American players. And yeah, he was never going to employ one on his team, but on the side, he's, he's writing books and plays, uh, about stories from the plantation and they're not flattering. And we had to, we, again, in the book, we, we address that about his off base humor and, uh, He wasn't a a lynch mob racist. He was more of just a... uh, Dismissive racist. You know, it it
0: dismissed him as an
2: inferior race. It was
0: inconceivable to Ted Sullivan that an African-American could play baseball at the highest level. Yeah. it just He just didn't think that they were fit. And it just never occurred to him that that would even be possible. And he, like a lot of magnates back then, he
2: used the uh, Cuban giants as as like foils in the exhibition season routinely. And he might throw an offhanded compliment that they weren't bad in the field. Yeah. Uh, But it basically thought they weren't
0: smart enough to play the game uh, at the level that he expected. And as far as we know, that attitude never changed throughout his life. No, no. no.
2: And, you know, but it goes back to what you said is um, the, you know, when a young Irish like he himself came over and he's probably I think he was six years old when he when he when he came to Milwaukee from Ireland you know, to integrate with, uh, with the uh, the boys on the playground, you know, you took on the same attitudes. You wanted to assimilate. And what's the irony, of course, is, is that it comes from a country that's where his people have been downgraded, emasculated, and, uh, you know, kept at the bottom of the rung of societies, and then turn around. And, and they, you know, they, they all wanted to climb up and not be at the bottom of the ladder anymore. When we first came across all this, um, you know, we're fortunate enough in Kansas City to have the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is a fabulous uh, museum because the Negro Leagues were basically started in Kansas City. And uh, we went to Bob Kendrick, who's the uh, director of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and showed him a couple of these early chapters. And he said, we said, what should we do with this? And his very words were, tell it like it was, tell it like it is. And so we have in, the, in this book. It's a, it, it is kind of a, a, a sketch of its time. Socially and uh, outside of baseball.
1: And I definitely respect you for not shying away from that, because I think sometimes people try to just write these glorified biographies of these old figures throughout baseball. But you talk about the actual life of this person. Yes, maybe some of the stories are exaggerated by the newspapermen, but you try to tell the actual story of this guy's life, the warts and all absolutely yeah we do right. i mean we weren't
0: interested in just shining up something that didn't need to be shined up or ducking the truth that we wanted to have a credible legitimate biography well researched and i think that's what we ended up with you know
2: uh, we say that the the press and the press was it you know the newspapers were the medium of the day and that the uh <clears throat> they bought his blarney by the barrel but there's a <laughs> there were a lot of cynical um sports writers across the country that would uh kind of make fun of him and uh in terms of his uh, preponderance of uh or top, the tendency to tell you know wacky tales and uh, uh trick people to, to believe him but you know but the scribes too he was probably an early public relations man because he would go from town i mean literally millions of miles on on rails and ships and buggies and whatnot and he would go to every town first thing he'd do is put his feet up on a reporter's desk and tell and tell tales and these guys had you know these old-time reporters had a lot of space to fill in those old broadsheets And they would just roll right with it, roll with his stories.
1: I would like to talk about your individual fandoms and a little bit about your love for baseball. So, Pat, what's Mm -hmm. your team? Who are some of the players you grew up idolizing? Why don't you talk about that a little? Well, you know, I'm
2: 68 years old, so I was in in Kansas City where we had the Kansas City Athletics, which had the the, uh, annual card, Kansas City Athletics, 10th place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know and so we didn't have a lot of heroes here to cheer for because so we just wait for the Yankees to come to town you know and of course you know Mickey Mantle was my hero and Whitey Ford and all the fellas from that uh, and I grew up with uh, uh, a friend of mine in, in grade school the old St. Francis grade school and his father was Jimmy Gleason who at one point was the first base coach for the Yankees and so we we got to meet some of the players when they were in town and uh, those kind of things so that and then, uh, but then we're diehard Royals fans, of course, in Kansas City. And our family company was privileged enough to be in charge of the uh, World Series celebration in 2015 and the, the parade and, the, and the, uh, the gathering afterwards. And when we, we also did the, the uh, Super Bowl parade and, and rally. And the difference is, of course, it was warmer than the Royals, you know, did theirs. But yeah. the number of kids, families that came out was just packed. Teachers were letting kids out of school to go to the Royals celebration. Well, it's been fifty years. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I mean, people would park their cars in the middle of the interstate and walk over to the rally. Uh, but you know, Ted Sullivan said the best talent came from the sandlots. He called for it the early on, at the outset of the depression that we needed towns needed more ball fields uh, to bring those kids up uh, in baseball.
1: Absolutely. So, Tom, what does your fandom look like?
0: My fandom looks like a scrawny kid in second grade Cub Scout baseball that could throw the ball a mile, but couldn't hit a lick. That really never changed. (laughs) uh, I um, embraced, I'm not old like Pat, I'm only 60. And uh, I embraced the Royals as a kid and uh, fell in love with Amos Otis. And I still think I love Amos Otis. And um, my parents, there would be a bus that would go to, to Royal stadium and it was a dollar and a half round trip. And general admission was 75 cents and my parents would drop us off at the store where the bus stopped and me and my cousins and we'd go and they'd pick us up. they listen to the radio and pick us up and we did that all the time and it was just great and just been loving mm-hmm. going to the stadium ever since. Yeah. And even when the Royals, you know, were not particularly competitive or interesting. For that 50-year. For that 50-year. <laughs> <laughs> But we watched him and we still do, and that's you know, yeah, if you, you know, you got to suffer a little
2: bit. One of our readers is putting this book together. A friend of ours is Frank White, and uh, Frank you know, was a Gold Glove winner uh, for the Kansas City Royals, and uh, a great guy. He's now our uh, county executive, yeah. And and Frank would read through, and kind of the same thing that uh, that uh, Bob Kendrick said. He goes, you know, there's a racism piece of baseball you can't skip over. Frank has always been, he's so hugely popular, he's such oh, yeah. a nice fella, and and he'll talk baseball with anybody at the grocery store, you know, and you have to drag him around to get him out of the grocery store, but it, it's that kind of, Kansas City, a lot of ball players, a lot of baseball players either stayed in Kansas City or came back to Kansas City after they retired, mm-hmm. and because it's a, people don't mob them, they treat them well, um, and, and they're just like,
0: regular folks yeah george uh, brett can walk through town he still lives here raised his family here
2: nobody bothers lots of the the football players the same way but i think they like the fact it's a midwestern calm and easy and friendly place to live and raise your kids
1: so you were talking about the World Series parade and then the Super Bowl parade. So I guess I have to confess that right now I'm talking to you from Tampa Bay, Florida. I'm apologizing <laughs> that we prevented you from having a second Super Bowl parade there. I apologize yeah, for that.
2: Yeah, she did. Thanks a lot to cut into my, my, my grandkids don't have any shoes winter's coming on. Yeah. So thanks to you. <laughs> you know, one one of the things I think I'd I'd like to to Address is going back to uh uh controversy, I guess, in, in Ted Sullivan's life, but I think of, of interest to this audience. And uh, Tom did a lot of the research on when uh when Ted Sullivan, just shortly before he died, a couple of years before he died, so he had to be like almost 80, yeah, brought the Kerryman Gaelic footballers from Ireland for an exhibition tour.
0: Yeah, he did, and uh, they were just gonna come here and catch a bunch of checks and go back and. First game out of the box, they run into a bunch of expats who were pretty skilled in New York, yeah, in 1927 York, polo grounds, and they lost. And, they and then and then they lost their last game at polo grounds, and in between they did okay, but they never made any money. And uh, then but when it, the time came on the 3rd of July to settle up and give the uh, carrymen there, the carry tourists their 40 percent, Ted vanished. He took the dough. He just <laughs> he just stranded them left them and then there was this other organization that was planning on getting a piece of that money i too. think they called them an underwriter or they <laughs> would today they call them an underwriter this particular group well they ended up being called a friend after they helped prop That's these guys idea. up and get them back home better known under the uh, acronym of ira yeah right so anyway yes ted did that he he boosted money from the uh, carryman and the ira he promised though that he would go back to Ireland and buy playing fields for the GAA over in County Kerry because why wouldn't I do that? Because that's the county of my birth. But of course he was born in Clare. But he, he changed his
2: story more than my mother changed her birthday. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I think you have definitely wet the whistle for people wanting to read the book, Ted Sullivan, Barnacle of Baseball, the life of the prolific league founder, scout manager, An Unrivaled Huckster by Pat O'Neill and Tom Kaufman. Thank you for joining me, fellas. It was great. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having us. We appreciate it very much. That was Pat O'Neill and Tom Kaufman, authors of the book Ted Sullivan, Barnacle of Baseball, The Life of the Prolific League Founder, Scout, Manager, and Unrivaled Huckster. On the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 25 of the podcast. Our next brand new episode will debut in two weeks and will be an important milestone for the show. We will have officially hit the one year mark. Over the course of that year, we've talked with athletes, authors, scouts, broadcasters, and journalists. We're definitely looking forward to the next 12 months of the Irish Baseball Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.